Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Tresca. Mike, what is going on? It's good to be back. <laughs> well, where'd you go? Uh, <laughs> a few places, but it's been a while, so I'm glad. We got to get we gotta shake the rust off as to what podcasting banter is normally like. Well, to our listeners, we will have just put out an episode last week and an episode this week. So our listeners are not versed in where we've been. Time travel. Time travel. Time travel. All right. We are on episode 25. The movie is entitled Death in the Shadows. But it's not English language, so that's the English language title. Right. I don't know how to say it in in, in Dutch. Well, what's interesting is the title is Dip... D-E-P-R-O-O-I, which is the prey. So it's actually not even a translation okay. of the original, the English. The English is not a translation of the original title. Probably should have looked up what that word means. I did not do so. Okay. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help. All right, good. You're here to point out the things that I didn't do. <laughs> All right. The year is 1985. It is in color. The director is Vivian, I think I want to say Piders not Peters. It has a 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Slightly, just a touch, sketch, scooch. A scotch. A scotch higher than a lot of the other movies that we have reviewed, and it is one hour and 35 minutes. The hilarious tagline is, they murdered the woman she thought was her mother, and now they're after her. But why? Maybe that's also a translation. Maybe it does better in Dutch. I don't know. It wasn't great. All right. There is a key difference about this movie that is different than all of the other ones that we have reviewed so far. Mike, can you guess what it is? Nudity. <laughs> I think we've seen some some nudity before. Are there others? Is there anything else that you can think of? Peep shows. Oh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that is, that is true. All right. No, this movie was nominated for some awards, and it actually won an award. So, 
Yeah, there was a film we watched that was nominated for an award, and it probably shouldn't. Uh, the Wasp Woman got some kind of sci-fi award in France that I don't... <laughs> oh, right. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I think this is the same. So it was nominated for Best Film for the 1986 International Fantasy Film Award mm -hmm. at MythFest in 1985. It was nominated for Best Film, and it won the special award for the new actress and this poor gal, I'm going to murder her name, Mikey Bhutan. So I think that that was the lead that she won an award. So how about that? Good for her. Wasp Woman may have been nominated or may have won an award, but this was three times nominated, one win. So wow. good for them. Uh, we're going to do some content warnings. So my content warning for this movie and this episode is pornographic content, sex with a minor, violence, pretty much all of them. And I'm putting in here trivializing mental illness. I don't think that's quite too pronounced, but I do think that it's in there a little bit. And I'm going to try something new this time in that I'm also going to give it a positive content. So I will say that there was, uh, on the positive side, there was teen empowerment. The main okay. character does do a lot. <laughs> she has to do it all. Nobody helps. So Nobody yeah. helps her, as we will get into. All right. So this movie opens up. There's a woman who's waiting for the bus at night. She does seem worried. So she catches her bus, and she seems relieved while she's sitting on the bus. But then we see that there's a car following her. All right, she gets off the bus to walk home. She is struck and killed by the car. We find out she has a daughter. Her, her daughter's name is Valerie. Valerie seems like a normal high school senior in 1985. She's playing video games, hanging out with her friends, smoking, maybe. Not maybe for Dutch teens? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, seems like a Dutch thing. Everybody's uh, smoking in this. Everybody's smoking in this movie. All right. So the police show up at her house and tell her that her mom is in the hospital. Valerie heads to the hospital where she meets police inspector Melama. I'm going to say that wrong. He's going to be the inspector, so I don't have to say his name over and over again. So she meets the inspector at the hospital, and she actually finds out that her mother has died of her injuries. So the next day, she rallies. She takes her school finals. But the inspector shows up to ask her more questions. And during tells, finals. During, during finals, finals. Yeah. And tells her that they're having trouble identifying the body. Not only that, but the autopsy shows that Trudy never gave birth to a child. Dun, right? dun, dun. We're 13 minutes into the movie. This poor... Teenager's life is turned completely upside down. So now Valerie and the inspector are starting to investigate why her mother lied about at least a couple of things and who she really was, but they really aren't finding much to go on. They don't have much to work with. So enter a family friend whose name is Rhea. She invites Valerie over for dinner, and Valerie sees that Rhea has some tickets to fly to Sri Lanka in like a desk drawer, and Rhea is no help. Doesn't know anything about Trudy, doesn't say anything about Trudy, even though Valerie asks. So not much going on there. So Valerie goes back to her house, finds a name and address in her mother's things, and, as one would, goes there to investigate. She's not involved with the inspector at this point. She just goes. 
Turns out it's a car repair garage. All right. So she meets this married couple and the woman seems to know Trudy and know Valerie, but the man says he doesn't know anything, never knew Trudy, and he throws Valerie out. Valerie then decides to go to the inspector. The inspector says, look, now we know Trudy was never married. So she was not a widow as she said she was. She was getting money from somewhere to support herself and Valerie, but it wasn't a government pension as Valerie thought. And this is the beginning of a pattern of Valerie investigating a thing, the inspector telling her not to do it, and somewhere in the middle, somebody throws her out. And that's what happened. That happens multiple times throughout this conversation uh, and the investigation. So, Yeah, I, at 17, no way. The auto repair place owner dude, threw it, that would have been it for me. He was so mean, he threw her out. And she like went into the back and stuff, right? She went she into was the like, back, she was kind of snooping around. Yeah, and she was full on Scooby-Doing that. She was Scooby-Doing the situation. And yeah, he threw her out because it was weird because his wife was like, Oh, gosh, that's so sad, Trudy. Oh, all right. Well, let me get my husband. Yeah. And, it, and he was like, out, 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 not yeah. answering questions. Yeah, not. I'm not talking to you. All right, we've got a couple things going on here. So Rhea shows up again, gives Valerie some money. She says, oh, your mother lent me some money here as payback. I don't know that we ever find out, found out if that were true or or not. We don't I don't know. even understand the point of Rhea, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, you know what? That's a whole other thing. Okay, so now we have to bury poor Trudy, who, gosh, never even had a speaking part, did she? Nope. She never, no, she, actually, she did. She did say something... To the bus driver. Ouch. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I think she, I think she says to the bus driver, "I'm waiting for this particular bus," and he was like, "Oh, it'll be along in a minute." All right, so she That's did right, actually yeah. have a line. All right, so at the funeral, the inspector shows up. He begins asking questions of the people that are there. He keeps showing up at like the worst. He never not getting anywhere. Investigates normally. He's I don't like... know how common it is. <laughs> Hopefully, there are not too many people listening who have a family member who was murdered. Do the police usually show up at the funeral or at the wake and ask questions? He does try to defend it. I know he does because they're a little bit like, "Why are you here?" And he's like, "Well, they're." You know, the killer's probably here or whatever. He yes. makes some kind of statement like, yeah. all the witnesses are here. Not wrong. Yeah. Not wrong. But I don't know that that was great. Okay. All right. Valerie goes home from the funeral, has sex with the boyfriend. Sex with a minor. And As we find does. out that he is leaving on a trip. So he's conveniently out of the picture. Cannot help her. And he's like a mumbly meathead, too. He's like, yeah. oh, I mean, we we watched, of course, the English dubbed version. So, uh, like, you know, there is that aspect of it going on. There was obviously a voice actor who was doing it. So I don't know what he sounded like in the original film. But the actor was just, it, the, the character seemed like a waste of space. As a matter of yeah. fact, 
I don't even think I wrote down his name. <laughs> it's not important. I don't, I don't even think I have his name in the notes. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, so the family lawyer was at the funeral. Valerie follows up with him. He seemed to know Trudy well, says he was her boss for a little while. He agrees to help Valerie find her real parents. But again, not a lot of help. All right, and my note, we're now 41 minutes into the movie. Okay, so we're, we're pretty deep into the movie. Not a lot has gone on except the murder. <laughs> and sex. And some sex. And, and, you know, not really. It wasn't, I don't know. Like, don't. Yeah, there's a lot of like, sex. let's just be naked. Well, in not this yet. Movie. That's but, that's later. There was yeah, just that's... the one sex scene with the boyfriend, but it was it was a little uninspired. We'll just say that. I, <laughs> which maybe, hey, maybe that's reality. Like yeah. that's probably actually what uh, sex between two seventeen year olds is actually like. <laughs> um, all right, so I did make some notes about how the men are not helping Valerie. You've got the lawyer. You've got the inspector. You've got the boyfriend. Nobody is helping her, and the lawyer and the boyfriend are telling Valerie to leave everything to the police, but the inspector is, like, giving a passing glance to this case and not really able to get anywhere. He He's weirdly accessible, but he doesn't seem to do anything. He's, like, around. He talks to her a lot, but he doesn't seem to advance the investigation, which is, again, typical of sort of a teenager investigation mystery where she's the protagonist right but he, he does sort of just sort of <laughs> everybody says that she should be trusting and working with him and he just seems to show up and have breakfast or offer lunch or be like hey don't do that it's dangerous i mean he was a nice companion yeah I he's not he's very nice actually very nice it's just i don't believe that he ever investigated the people at the auto shop even though valerie told him about it later he just said, you probably shouldn't have done that. Seems like it might be a little dangerous. Yeah. And I don't remember him saying, may I have the address? Can I look these people up? I'm going to go speak to them myself. At least it's not on the it's not in the film. Already we're 41 minutes into it. Now, Valerie, this is at, I guess, the end of their, what we would consider high school career. So she decides she's going to go to a graduation party. She's egged on by the boyfriend. She hops on her bike. And she's riding there. Well, guess what? A car tries to run her over. So there is quite a chase. She gets away by jumping in, I think it's a lake near her home. Looks like a lake. It's dark. The movie is very dark. It is color. It is 1985. But the movie... It's, it's not a good transfer. It's not a good transfer. We can't see a lot. Either the YouTube video or on our DVD. There were several points it was difficult to tell what was going on if it was a night scene. Okay, so she calls the inspector. She's in a panic. And he comes by, to his credit, and he tells her, guess what? I found out that uh, your mother had a brother, but we can't find him. All right, now Valerie's desperate to get away from her village because someone did just try to kill her. I noticed that the inspector or some other person from the police department is not helping her to make sure or ensure that she is safe in any kind of way. She takes it upon herself to go to Amsterdam and go to a youth hostel. All right, the boyfriend is no help. The inspector is no help. We see her at the youth, at the youth hostel. 
And this is where naked, she spends a lot of time being naked and smoking and crying and very nervous as she's hearing people walk by outside her door because she doesn't know what's going on. And I think she's just expecting someone to accost her. You wouldn't think minute. these things would be compatible, being naked and nervous. <laughs> You'd think naked and nervous and more, smoking. More clothed. So ready to go right. versus just completely naked in a youth hostel, which is not your home territory. But, you know, again, maybe this is a cultural thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's very likely that there are a lot of things about this movie that we should be understanding more fully. It, we're, did we know more about the culture in Amsterdam in, in 1985? All right. Um, yeah. Also, no weapon. It's not like she's sleeping with a knife under her pillow or anything like that. She is only 17. So who knows? All right. So <laughs> Valerie meets up with her friend, Evelyn, and Evelyn tells her to party her problems away. Big help. That big help. Evelyn could have been cut from this movie. I don't understand why she was there. 75% of the characters could have been cut from yeah. this movie, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Evelyn, beautiful actress, did a great job, was definitely the 1985 goth. I recognized myself in this gal, but she was no help at all. And at this point, I'm wondering why all of the characters are not too upset that Trudy was in fact murdered and keep telling Valerie to move on. That's their that's their big plan for her. Move on, Valerie. Get yeah, over it. Yeah, there's a little bit of a vibe that Trudy isolated Valerie um, because, you know, one of the things that she goes through a lot of the belongings is understanding, not questioning how much of that she remembers and, and sort of what she was doing. But yeah, generally speaking, there's just nothing. There's no family relations. She's sort of adrift and on her own, which is intentional. Valerie sees Rhea in the street, the family friend, right? She sees her and she follows her to a peep show house. That's I. That's what I wrote down it was. I don't know if there's a more official term for it. And Rhea works there. Rhea's naked in the, in the thing. And Valerie gets to peep on her for a minute or two. And then, and then that's that. And this that. is all super unsexy. It's really just <laughs> perfunctory, like, standing around naked. That's it. Everybody stands around naked in this movie, and you're like, okay, thanks for including it, I guess. I don't know. She was, Rhea was kind of like, her hand kind of went a little downtown, but other than that, like, it was, yeah, she was just naked. And I, having never been to Amsterdam or experienced this, I don't know how true to it it was. There was a lot of, like, as she's walking in, there were a lot of visuals of, um... Uh, of I think like the either the women that worked there or whatever, just naked pictures of women. And there was a lot of sounds that sounded like people having a good time. And then she, you know, opened up the opened up the little peep show sliding door and saw Rhea and watched her for a minute and then and then left. And that was it. That was all you got. All right. So Valerie decides to go home. She meets with the inspector again. He's no help again. He yells at her for doing her own investigation again. But then he does produce a photo of Valerie and her mother that was taken in a cemetery. And then he takes her out to lunch. 
I think Visor Pie. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's nice. He's nice. He's trying. He didn't tell her to move on. Everyone else told, tells Valerie to move on. The inspector never did that. I appreciate that. He's worried about her safety, too. There's a lot of conversations where he's like, you really should just stay out of town. Like, and, and I think at one point he's like, just stay there. Just like, don't come back. Don't do any more investigating. Like, just be out of it. But she's like, how else is the investigation? Nobody else does anything around here. So how is the investigation going to move forward? And then there's also a lot of like, finish your college stuff. And she's like, why? How? With what? You keep showing up. You showed up in the middle of my finals. You showed up in the middle of the funeral. Why? How would I get anything done? So it's kind of interesting because in some ways they tell her stuff, but they really don't support her uh, in doing any of it. But she's pretty good for a 17-year-old with no parents. She uh, she, she yeah. makes do. She was just about or just had turned 18. It's unclear to me if she actually turned 18 during the course of the movie or not. She kept saying she was close to her birthday, and then the boyfriend sends her a postcard from New York, happy birthday, but I don't know that she actually did turn 18, and I don't know what happens here. What would happen here in this country if a 17-year-old suddenly found themselves parentless? I think there would be mechanisms that would go into place, and I think that they would not be wandering around on their own recognizance. Right, and this is a common plot because the 18-year-old age matters, as we'll find out. So, All right, so now Valerie starts investigating. She finds the location where the photo was taken, and it, it's a cemetery. There's a church there, so she goes and talks to the pastor of the church. She asks about the graves, so she uses the photos to triangulate and figure out where exactly her and her mother were standing when the photo was taken. And you know what? It did not occur to me until this very moment. Who would have ta- who takes a photo in that circumstance? Right? Yeah. You're visiting graves, someone takes a photo of you, especially in let's go backwards. If it's 1985 and Valerie is 17, then that meant it was 1968, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. So, who did that? Who was that person that took the photo? Maybe it was the brother. That's the only person it could be, yeah. frankly. Well, the only person of substance in the plot. that There could have been other people there, obviously. but Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I've ever taken photos at a funeral. I think maybe only once just to take a photo of where one of my grandfathers was buried. Oh, no. Now you take photos while you're there and you put it on TikTok. That's what you do. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to judge or whatever but i'm but all i'm saying is in the past however many years 13 years that we've all had a camera in our pocket i've only ever taken a photo at a funeral and only of the only of the cemetery the veterans cemetery was beautiful took a photo of it that was it um all right so she's talking to the pastor asks about the graves Pastor says they belong to Hugo and Marga Mar, Marga Van Vlet or Viet or something like that. All right, not important. He <laughs> he also tells her Trudy's brother's name is Bob. He's nearby, so Valerie goes to see Bob. Bob tells her uh, a whole story that Hugo and Marga are actually Valerie's parents. Marga had money. Hugo missed, mismanaged the business and the couple's money. He says that Marga lost her mind. 
They both died. Trudy was a good friend of theirs, and Trudy took Valerie as her own. And it's also occurring to me in this moment that none of this is a reason for all of the secrecy. Why couldn't Trudy have brought Valerie up, Valerie having known her parentage and what happened? Some of it seems to be about the money, that there's a lot of money. Some of it also seems to imply that she felt because of the mother. The mother didn't die right away because she had lost her mind. So it wasn't like they died together in an accident or something. I think there was a feeling that they didn't have the rights to this. Like there was sort of some back dealing sort of way this money was being funneled because it comes out later, right, that there's sort of like she was getting a stipend or something. She was essentially, she wasn't, they weren't living, living richly, right? Um, Valerie sort of makes that point. She's like, I, I didn't know we ha- we had an inheritance. I wasn't living like I had an inheritance or a good one, you know, that had a lot of money in it. So there, it feels like there's something shady already in that process, but we never find out what it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why the lies. But what happens is Valerie and Bob exchange notes about what they know. Bob throws Valerie out and says, "Come back later. Talk to me later." Again. Again. He (laughs) says he's going to go do something, doesn't tell her what, none of that. So we don't see what Bob goes and does. We just see that Valerie comes back to his house later. And of course, he's been murdered. So unfortunately, Valerie goes home. She's not doing anything at this point. Goes home. She's naked again. And this time, she's attacked in her house or her apartment. I don't know how you would characterize that. Seems kind of like a condo, what we might call a condo. So she fights off the attacker and locks him in some kind of a an armoire or a closet of some kind. He manages to get out because it looks like something that was like made by Ikea. And Rhea shows up, so he's attacking Rhea. Rhea had come by because she heard Valerie screaming. So it's very dark, the transfer. It's difficult to see exactly what happened. There's an exposed wire a glass of water gets knocked over. Rhea manages to electrocute the attacker with this loose wire. So Rhea does have a purpose. Yeah. In all of this. Is that And and there's a whole thing with Valerie messing with circuits that of course we don't even they don't look like American breakers or whatever, but she's messing with stuff and there's lights and they're turning things on and power's going out and well, the power had gone out and it seemed like something with, there was an exposed wire and it had, it had tripped something and then um, she had to replace, she had to replace the, what are they called? Like the, the fuse. The breaker. The, the fuse. fuse. The fuse, yeah. She had, yeah. It, it did look slightly f- familiar to me because I do remember as a child living in a house that you had to replace the fuses. So she was replacing the fuse, trying to turn the electricity back on when she finally replaced the fuse that exposed wire was live again and then that's what Rhea was able to use to electrocute the attacker boy is this embarrassing for the bad guy (laughs) yes i don't know how to put it he like it's it's like slipping in the bathtub kind of death here but okay Oh, yeah, I know. I would have been like, I can't go out like this. He, he feel, I feel like he got final destination. Like, he basically he did, died he in the most unlikely set of circumstances. Yeah, and he almost got away with it if yeah. it wasn't for that kid. <laughs> All right, so who who is it? We the find out who it is. lawyer. It was the lawyer. He had spent all of Trudy's money, so there was no money left. Trudy found out. It turned out the lawyer 
borrowed a car from the car repair couple, ran Trudy over with it. And so that's why the car repair people were like throwing Valerie out. Although clearly the wife didn't know, only the man knew. The car repair owner owed money to the lawyer or the reverse. I forget. There was something going on there that they were sort of in bed together because they were both doing bad. And now, like, that's it. That's the end. Well, the, the final point, though, is Valerie turning 18. There was now legal grounds for them to be like, no more stipend. Here's all the money that you deserve. And it was coming to a head because the mom presumably was going to tell her when she turned 18 about her true heritage. And this all came to a head, right? Because now the, the, the dirty secret is there is no money. And the money that had been funding them up to this point had suddenly run out. So now there was supposedly going to be this, hey, what a great story, right? Because I think the idea was they were going to meet somewhere. That's before she got murdered. I don't know if, I don't know if Valerie's mom out. was meeting. Somebody Tr was meeting. Trudy, Trudy found out. Right. So it all went south because of the turning 18 scenario. So it got, there was definitely a pressure point on this besides just the money drying up. Um, but yeah, it, 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 this right. seems like... A very incompetent villain. <laughs> yeah, well, at, at some point, the inspector lays out for Valerie all of the charges that the lawyer would have been subjected to and how much prison time that would have meant for him. Yeah. So that's why he had a vested interest. I don't know why you'd go to murder, but he'd murdered two people and it would have been two more. Yeah, and again, it, this we see this a lot. It doesn't seem like it sick, fixes any, everything. It seems like it almost makes it worse, makes right? It worse. So in other words, it's not like that murdering that first person covered it up completely. It just makes things worse. Like, it's going to come out. Now, you know? Yeah, yeah, because now everybody, was nobody going to investigate Trudy's right. murder? Right, And why didn't he kill, he would have had to have killed Bob. If he'd killed Bob right away, something, that might have been different. Right. They might have, yeah. And maybe even the pastor, he would have had to kill. And the car repair guy. Look, go all <laughs> Everybody. In. Just go all in. Here's here's what I'm going to say. If you're going to cover up your tracks, like maybe be a, a little more Machiavellian about it, right? <laughs> no witnesses. No, no witnesses. witnesses. Like you got to just go all in. But he was just he was just a bad villain. All right. And then the <laughs> the last scene is that uh, Valerie hops on her bike and rides down the street. See you, Valerie. Good See luck. You, Valerie. Have a nice life. <laughs> Good luck paying your rent. Yeah. With no inheritance. Good with, luck with, with nothing. nothing. Um, hopefully Trudy had set something aside, but that wasn't ever mentioned. If it were me, I would have been putting away a little bit every month. Who knows? Hopefully the boyfriend's parents are a little more with it and helpful. I know that if my child had a friend that this was happening to them, oh no, I would have canceled my trip to New York. I would have taken that child in. And we would have figured this mess out together. So shame on the boyfriend. Shame on the boyfriend's parents who we never meet. Shame on every adult. In shame this on every adult. In shame this on the movie. electric company. I don't know. Let's keep going. Shame let's on the going. people who make <laughs> the the comforter that he used. That, that Everybody. was a weird. <laughs> Everybody. They all failed her. But you know what? She comported herself well. And I'm sure that character went on to have a bright future. Maybe she takes the inspector's job she in could. five or ten years. All right, let's 
move on to our rating system. So we're going to give this movie our own homegrown ratings, knives, glasses of wine, and screams. All right, knives, I will remind everyone, and especially Mike, because he forgets every time. <laughs> knives represents the body count. How scary was it? How gory was it? Did it live up to its title? So between zero and five knives, how many will you give this movie, Mike? Uh, so there's definitely attempts at murder, right? So there's definitely so some of this I think is not so much that it's the murders happen, but that she is Valerie generally genuinely afraid for her life most of the time and doesn't know what's going on at all. She's completely in the dark. So I I felt like because she's younger and she really doesn't have anyone to rely on, Rhea notwithstanding, uh, it, it's kind of scary. Like I I felt for her. I mean the 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 scenes are not great and the murders are inept frankly so i give it one and a half Ooh, kind of a low rating um in the knives department but yeah okay well let's go through the points what was the body count really two murders two attempted murders was it scary no it moved pretty slowly there was no gore it did live up to the title death in the shadows for sure because most of the time, I couldn't fucking see what was going on. Um, and I was guy, I was really trying. I was really, really trying. What's hilarious is that in some of the YouTube versions of this movie, and there are a couple, there is the English dubbed, there's also the Dutch version. I will put links to both of those in the show notes. People did complain <laughs> yeah. that they couldn't that they couldn't see. The Dutch language version in YouTube is a better transfer. It does look a lot better than the English one. The English one is also a little wonky, whatever. Anyway, all right, um, I'm going to give it, um, I don't know, this is like the little film that could for me. So I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it two knives. Okay. All right, so let's move on to glasses of wine. And glasses of wine represents, was it fun to watch? And did it have any unique moments what was the flavor? What was the texture? What was the mouthfeel of this movie? All right, between zero glasses of wine and five glasses of wine, Mike, how many will you give Death in the Shadows? A lot of these movies try very hard to spice things up. Uh, either they imply they're going to spice things up in their posters and their descriptions, and they don't. Um, or they uh, put people in sort of these uh, situations that imply something's going to happen. I, this is more the second one, right? She's in a lot of sort of sexual situations to, uh, th that feels like just done to spice things up, um, but they're pretty unsexy. Uh, but it, it's certainly there's no shortage of sort of like, oh, you weren't paying attention? Well, here's somebody not wearing a shirt today. Um, so there's definitely a little bit of that. Uh, for that reason, I'd say you know it certainly is. Uh, it keeps your attention riveted as at least a man uh, occasionally. So I'll, I'll give it two uh, glasses, but I wouldn't go higher than that. Yeah, I think that I'm also going to go with the two. We are now in 2023. I think used to a different kind of movie. We're used to things moving a lot quicker. We're used to pretty graphic sex scenes. I don't have a problem with that, but the the time taking and the the slow build, I think it seems a little quaint, antiquated to us. Even so, and even with the dead ends that this movie took, 
and the red herrings, etc. It still did keep my attention. It truly did. I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did only watch it twice. I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again. I really, I really wouldn't. I felt like I got, I did get something different out of it the second time. So I am also going to give it two glasses of, of wine for those reasons. All right. And our last rating is an overall rating. And because many of the movies that we are watching in this series are supposed to be either horror or thriller, although some of them are probably best described as mystery, there is hopefully some screaming somewhere in each of them. So Screams is our overall rating, and it does not have to be an average of glasses of wine and knives. So how many between zero and five will you give it, Mike? I, I think we're still staying with the two. There were some, this is, you know, for, part of this is it's more modern. Uh, it is certainly hampered by the visuals and the transfer. The character is interesting. She's actually probably the best part of the film that she really tries and she's doing her best and she's, I think, reacts appropriately to her circumstance. No one else does, but she does, right? So it, all the other supporting cast feel a little flat, but she does great. So I, I, I would give it to. I agree. It was, and Rhea kills the killer. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Good job, Rhea. <laughs> you know? So Rhea appears to be a throwaway character. You don't really understand why she's there. And then she shows up in the they, final they moments. kind of give it to Valerie because she's involved with the fuse, sort of. So it's a team effort. But yeah, I mean, technically Rhea's the one who takes him out. Right, right. And yeah, so... It's very, it's very feminist in that way, I think in a way that was a little bit ahead of its time in 1985. I did like also how Valerie was maybe a little bit, I don't know how to describe what we saw on her face when she was at the peep show parlor. She wasn't disgusted. I, I think it may have been more like she thought Rhea worked in an office or something. And so maybe it was just more confusion. There was never any shame. So I, I really liked that part of it is that there was never any shame. The kids were having a sexual relationship and that was that was fine. Nobody was shaming there. Rhea uh, is a sex worker and there was no shaming that went on there. It wasn't even like Valerie went to the inspector and said, Oh my God, my neighbor works at, I don't know if it's the same as like the coffee houses. Like, I don't, like, I don't know what the term is, but my neighbor is, is a sex worker. She, like, she, like, like that never happens. It's just all taken as a matter of fact. It's all very Dutch. <laughs> if I knew more Dutch people, like, I, like, I, I don't know, but I did appreciate that. And it was the women that moved the plot forward. So the men were mostly ineffectual, unhelpful, or got themselves murdered. So I'm going to give it, I'm actually going to give it three. I'm going to give it three screams for, for, for those reasons. So not an average at all, just like I have entirely different, different measures. And that's why I'm going to give it three screams. All right. Now we're going to move on to the character that Mike has created for use in tabletop role-playing games that is associated 
with this movie. It's a very different movie than the previous 24. So I really don't have any idea where he was going to come up with a character to be associated with it because the villain was not really anything to write home about, frankly, although the heroine was. All right, Mike, tell me, what did you come up with? So we don't mention it, but his name was Van Marek or Van Morick right. or Van something. I don't know. But that was his name. So he, he you know, he he's barely mentioned intentionally. Um, this is what I would I would not call this a fair play whodunit. There's really no way to figure out on your own what the hell's going on. Um, so we there's a lot of blanks to fill in, basically because Van Marek is sort of a mystery other than we know he did some things prior to getting himself into trouble. So there was a lot of opportunity to sort of work with that character. It's sort of a little bit of a blank slate. Uh, other than that, he was sort of this person involved. I mean, he was a lawyer, but he was like a financial, he was like a, an estate, I don't know what the phrase is, but he was, he was essentially someone who deals with estates. So I changed him to a banker. First of all, I made him a gnome. <laughs> so he's not a large character. I don't think he's a particularly um, scary person. He's a devious person person, right? So I made him a gnome. He's actually an inventor who I kind of had him as sort of the Rick Moranis uh, kind of uh, character from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's, he's a, an inventor who has gone into debt by trying to fund his invention. So he's always chasing the next dream. That's made him pretty dangerous. He doesn't have a lot of scruples. So he uses his inventions essentially to get ahead. And if that means murdering someone or uh, doing something he needs to do to, to clear the way, including his debts, um, he's not afraid to do it, but it, it is very much about his creditors. That's his problem. His problem is he's this guy. He could be a great contact for a party uh, in Dungeons and Dragons and potentially could provide great uh, technology, but the, there's a price for that. And it is that, you know, anything you use is tainted by the fact that he probably owes people a lot of money and they are likely going to come to reclaim it. So he is quite an, he's an interesting character. He's different from what we've had. I like that actually. Uh, he's the only gnome in the collection. But I felt like it, he was very gnome-like, sort of as as the the character as a as sort of a banker slash legal person and an inventor. I thought that he sort of embodied all the gnome traits you'd expect. Right. So he's not the type of villain that is going to attack you and come after. I mean, he maybe he will for various reasons, but that is not going to be his strength. So let me know what are his stats like. What does he do well? Because he does seem to get himself into a pickle financially, but maybe that's also because he's good with finances or maybe he gambles like what? Like, so yeah. tell me a little bit more about him in that, in that way. Yeah. It's always interesting. When you have a character who seems smart, but isn't very wise. So he's definitely that, right? He's, he's definitely a pretty brilliant, um, but his wisdom is not very high and he's charismatic enough to get by, but um, he's really, that's his main trait. His main trait is that he's pretty brilliant, but he's not navigating his finances well. He's making some bad choices. So he's the kind of guy who can come up with this really cool invention and then, you know, put himself into debt for it and then not be able to sell it because he's not doing it right. So he's definitely that kind of character. I mean, he's stealthy enough to get by, but uh, mostly it's his inventions that sort of make up for any of his uh, shortcomings. And he has inventions like jump boots, spring boots that let him jump and um, a glove that lets him protect himself. And he knows actually how to use pistols. He has, he actually, this is one of the few characters that has a pistol um, and he has like a multi-tool. So he has all kinds of fun stuff that helps him out, but every one of them has probably put him in, in tremendous debt. It also seems to me that he might be the character that another character who is more physical would come and say, yeah, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to take these boots. I'm going to take this weapon, whatever. 
Yeah, he's the kind of character that he definitely probably works for somebody else, and he probably works for them because he's in debt to them. Um, so he's he's got shifting alliances. He definitely uh, he knows how to twist things in his favor, at least long enough for him to survive. But he's always one step ahead of getting into serious trouble, and that makes him both dangerous and sort of a compelling NPC, depending on how the party interacts with him. Right, right. So where might this character be used? What kind of a setting? What kind of a place? A city? Anywhere? Yeah, he's kind of a city type character. Um, I think he does well in, in sort of places where he can have ready access to technology, um, springs and clockworks and all that. And someone wanting to use the services, right? So he's uh, both an inventor and he's obviously someone who's trying to sell these gadgets or at least sell the use of them to people. So he, he works best in a city that would appreciate that. Um, so he's he's the, definitely the kind of character you'd see that's probably part of some kind of organization. Uh, but as always... He's the one that's probably in debt due to gambling or loans or other things that makes it very difficult for him to uh, stay in one place for long. So he, he's probably transitory, too, uh, once it comes out exactly how much he owes or that he hasn't paid his debts. You know what it's making me think of? And maybe this storyline, I'm sure this storyline appeared somewhere in the in the Gotham City universe, but it's making me think of... Batman and Wayne Enterprises, and he's got people working for him there, right, that are creating all sorts of things. And you would have to make really sure that the people creating these things and having access to this technology would not have any problems, for instance, with debt or have any connections to people that might be considered, you know, of the of the underworld. Because otherwise, you could be forced to hand over this technology to them or let them into Wayne Enterprises or something like that. So I could see this character sort of being used in in that way. Yeah, he's he's a less successful Batman, right? He's like a known Batman, but he is. He's one of those characters who, for all intents and purposes, he's, he is successful. All these gadgets work in his favor. They make him effective. Um, but he's going into debt or funding them in some way, shape, or form or promising services to to be able to use them. And he's doing it the wrong way. You know, I, I always think I, it's been in a few of the movies that basically Bruce slash Batman sort of makes it a line item that he funnels off of weapons research because this way people don't question why are you building this Batmobile cannon weapon tank thing. Uh, Van Merrick doesn't have that luxury. He's very much it's it's his stuff and he uses it. And then he probably tries to sell blueprints or something along those lines. But um it's never enough. So it, it, I do like the idea of sort of somebody whose back is against the wall because it does make him dangerous, but it also makes him useful depending on if he owes you or not. You know what else I just thought of? Jurassic Park is the character. Is his name Nedry? The one that was selling the technology. Because, oh, yeah. Because he had debts. Yeah. And yep. he ends up being, a spoiler, he ends up being murdered by... Yeah, so he's the genius IT guy, but also very difficult to work with and apparently also in debt. And so that's why he goes to sell. You know, it's very interesting. I don't remember what year Jurassic Park came out. I remember seeing it in the theater very vividly. It was probably 91 or 92 because I was young and I hadn't met you yet sir mm. um and <laughs> the the man that owns the parks in jurassic park he knows that that character is in debt he actually mentions it yeah and the thing of it is as i know now that for instance when you go to apply for security clearance in the government 
if you have that kind of debt, you're not going to get that security clearance. That's considered a vulnerability, essentially. Considered a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. with very good reason, because you can be extorted, as happened in Jurassic Park, and started the whole situation. Totally. And Van Merrick is is sort of such an... It's funny, because by at this point, just... To sum up, we've now given Van Mark way more background than the movie did. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we have no idea why this man was embezzling the money, what was going on in his life. Was he married? Did he have kids? Like, no idea. We were given so little information about him. But because he showed up for long enough in the movie, you knew, and there weren't that many characters, you knew that he was probably involved somehow. Otherwise, why would he have a speaking part, right? Why would he be there? And I was trying to bridge the gap between somebody who was smart enough to embezzle funds and siphon. He'd been doing this, obviously, for years, but not smart enough to, you know, do it right without completely covering his tracks and reckless enough to try and run you over. Right. And I think that our gnome Van Merrick is is somewhere in that zone. But with a borrowed car. Yeah. <laughs> by the way. Not wise. In a place where it seems as though a lot of people don't drive. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I think that does it for episode 25, Death in the Shadows from 1985. Overall, I think worth, I think worth seeing uh, just to get a glimpse into what life was like in 1985 before we had all of the things that we have now because this plot would not work today. So... All right, Mike, thanks once again for seeing the movie with me, for sitting down to record, and for rolling up this character that I hope many people will enjoy using in their tabletop role-playing games. Yes, and I should point out that it will be available on patreon.com slash Italian. So Van Merrick will be available for free uh, for download. We'll actually take a clip of us discussing it uh, and include that as well. So you'll have access there. And he will also be part of a collection of villains on RPG called uh, 5e foes gothic villains and that's all 50 collected together so you can get them uh, either just van merrick or you can get all the details of his machinations and devices in that supplement so look for that in the show notes as well yes all of this will be in the show notes and at patreon.com slash italian and on the social media at world of Wellstar all over the interwebs. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Any words of wisdom? I've got none. So no, just uh 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 uh. <laughs> it's stuck in all my right. head. <laughs> Hopefully, everyone has seen Jurassic Park. If you haven't, go and see it now. You will not understand pop culture at all. That is one of those movies that you must see. We showed it to our teenagers recently it does hold up rather well has a really good dad joke in it and uh yeah uh the latest jurassic part that came out i don't know what i think about that i think i have to watch it again before i don't think i liked it as much it's for a different podcast that's a different podcast all right we will see you next time on 50 date night screams thanks everybody bye-bye bye Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. 
You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Mm-hmm.